As of this weekend, I've been at Assumption for two years, and I hope during that time you've realized I like to subvert expectations and make you uncomfortable. So for this July 4th weekend, I'm going to preach about Canada. It's funny until you actually hear me do it. You might have seen on the news over the last two months in this conversation about the residential schools for Native Americans in Canada, many Catholic churches have been burned to the ground. And I received a picture from a priest friend recently of the doors of our cathedral spray-painted with a slogan related to the residential schools. Now, I haven't found media confirmation that that exists, and there's a lot of misinformation on the Internet, so I'm actually not sure if our cathedral was vandalized or if this is a fancy Photoshop. But even so, it prompts a conversation. When the church is in the news for something bad, something we've all experienced over and over and over again for the last 20 years, what do we do with that? First... A little bit of background on the residential schools, just in case you haven't been keeping up. For more than a century, the Canadian government enacted a policy of westernization, which removed Native American children from their biological parents and placed them in boarding schools or foster homes so that these children would assimilate into European society. It was a form of cultural genocide which is to say the goal was, in fact, to have many of these cultures die out in favor of European culture. The schools that these children were placed in were overseen by different Christian denominations, but the majority of the schools were Catholic. Now, I've preached this homily twice already. I've had conversations with people after Mass. It's clear that the U.S. has its own history with the Native Americans here and residential schools. I'm not as well informed on that history, so I'm going to keep my focus on Canada. But I just want to acknowledge that what I'm saying here about Canada is very likely true of our own country, too. Now, for decades, while these schools were in operation, even, the Canadian government knew that the mortality rate of students sent to these schools was abnormally high, approaching 25% of all students sent there. And recently, ground-penetrating radar was used to find many of the burial locations of these deceased students. The number of unmarked graves found in the last two months is approaching a 1,000. In addition to the horror of cultural genocide, these graves are reminders of the additional horror of many premature, unnecessary childhood deaths. Because of their distance and history, we cannot say exactly what killed the children in these found graves. We know that these residential schools were supposed to be funded by the Canadian government, but they were perpetually underfunded, leading to malnutrition and overcrowding, which further made the children particularly susceptible to communicable diseases. That's very likely what killed these children. Mumps, measles, smallpox, all of the things that can spread through a school like that very easily. However, we also know that there are stories about abuse at the hands of the school administrators, which resulted in student deaths. 
Some news organizations are implying that these graves are unmarked because every single one of these children was abused to death, and their graves were not, were not marked because the church was trying to hide her sins. This is incredibly unlikely. The far more likely scenario is that these schools were so underfunded that there was not even enough money to ship the child's body home for burial. So they were buried on campus. It's a spiritual, corporal work of mercy to bury the dead, and we always do it. So they had to be buried. They were buried on campus with a simple wooden cross. But of course, wood rots over time. So these graves, which may very well have been marked when they were made, are now no longer marked at all. In a sense, lost to history. Nevertheless, because of the implication that this is a sign of an abuse and cover-up, much of the anger in the last few months has been directed at the church, hence the church burnings. So again, when the church is confronted with something like this, when we as Catholics are confronted with something like this, the first thing that we should do is acknowledge the sins that are present. So what are those sins in this case? First and foremost, the church was complicit in a horrific system of abuse and cultural genocide. Now, it was the policy of the Canadian government. So there are a few ways you can look at this. The most charitable way to see the church's participation is that these children were going to be removed from their homes anyway. Somebody had to take care of them, and the church stepped up. We can also talk about different historical standards changing, and the idea of wiping out cultures wasn't seen as it is today as something that is truly horrific that can't be undone. We can talk about all of that. But at the end of the day, children were removed from their families. And Catholics know better. We as a church have always defended the family. Everything that we do is in defense of the family. Well, everything we do is in defense of the gospel. But a big part of that is in defense of the family. And so if we are participating in a system that removes, that systematically removes children from their families, we should have known better. It is a grave sin against the family to participate in this governmental program. Second, even if we assume that every Catholic at these schools was a saint and trying to take care of children, it's still a sin, as we've talked about. But every Catholic at these schools wasn't a saint. There are horrific stories of abuse at the hands of school administrators. Things like children being kicked downstairs as a disciplinary measure or having cattle prods used against them. We shouldn't be surprised that a place of desperation founded on the destruction of families and made worse by underfunding and abhorrent living conditions would cause even religious and priests to grow bitter and violent. Sin always creates an ever-increasing cycle of sin. And then finally, sin number three, even after these schools closed, the church for many decades lacked proper transparency and contrition for the, for the sins committed there, a pattern we have seen in our own country with the sex abuse scandal. The secrecy and the denials compound the psychological damage already done to victims of abuse. So, once we name these sins, 
What do we do with them as the church? First, we apologize. Now, I'm not really talking about the kind of formal apologies that Prime Minister Trudeau has spent a lot of time talking about in the last two months. I find them, for the most part, to be fake and inauthentic performance art, demanded by people who want to make a point but who don't actually aren't ready to receive or forgive, which is what an apology is aimed toward. In addition, the church has apologized for these residential schools in Canada many, many times over the last few decades. There is a flare-up, there is awareness every few years. At that time, the Canadian bishops always make an apology, and then it's lost to the cultural memory for a few years, and then another apology is demanded. That's not really what I'm talking about. Instead, I'm talking about personal apologies. Apologies to people who have actually been abused or hurt. Apologies which recognize the pain of someone, an individual someone, who is looking for comfort and reconciliation. We can never offer enough of these apologies. This is the kind of apology that Pope Benedict offered in 2009 to a group of First Nations representatives who visited him in Rome and the kind of apology that Pope Francis plans to offer to another delegation of First Nations who are going to him in December. A personal apology to the people who have been hurt. These are effective, they are filled with the presence of Christ, and they have a possibility of bringing about reconciliation. Should any of us ever hear from someone who has experienced abuse at the hands of the Church, our reaction shouldn't be immediately defensive. Our reaction should immediately be a personal apology. I am sorry that you experienced that. That's horrible. We, our church, should have been better. The second thing that we do when we're confronted with the sins of the church is we pray deeply with the words of St. Paul in our second reading. He says, that I, Paul, might not become too elated because of the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, an angel of Satan, to beat me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I begged the Lord about this, that it might leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. It is our belief as Catholics that the Catholic Church is the Church of Jesus Christ, blessed with the fullness of the revelations of God. We have been given the power and the presence of Christ himself in the sacraments. And yet, the Lord allows his Church to be populated by sinful and broken men and women. These institutional sins... In our generation, these abuses against children, although every generation has had different sins of the church, this is our particular sin to bear. These sins are always thorns in our flesh that keep us from being too elated. We might beg the Lord three times to take them away from us, but he won't. He won't, because he continues to allow the church to be populated by sinners. The church is always going to be sinful, and it is always going to be in need of reform and holiness. 
The Lord allows this cycle to happen so that we can realize over and over and over again that his grace has to be sufficient for us and that our power is made perfect in weakness. We need the humility of having to confront our sins so that we remain focused on the gospel and the gospel alone. Our sins are a reminder that our institutions and our reputation are never sufficient. Only the grace of Christ is sufficient. St. Paul continues, I will rather boast most gladly of my weaknesses, in order that the power of Christ may dwell with me. Therefore I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. St. Paul is likely not talking about a sin, but about a physical deformity, so the analogy is not perfect. I would never say that we should boast of the Church's many sins. But I would say that we should always be completely open and honest about the Church's many sins. Because without our sins, we have no need for Christ. Jesus came as a Savior, and we need to be brutally honest about our personal and institutional need for salvation. If we don't have sins to be saved from, we have no need for Jesus. We have no reason to exist. Jesus is a Savior, and we need him to save us over and over and over again. Publicly acknowledging the sins of the Church is an act of justice. It recognizes publicly many of the abuses that have been denied for many years. What I will say for public apologies is at least people who have been hurt can hear openly Yes, the hurt you experienced was real, we acknowledge it, and we are sorry for it. That is a necessary thing, even if I think the personal apology is where Christ is most truly present. But though that openness with our sins, that publicity with our sins, isn't just good for the victims of abuse, it's good for us. It's always good for us. Our honesty and the insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints that come with it seems to make us weak, but truly it makes us strong. Even seeing those persecutions, seeing these churches burn, which is always horrific and honestly does a lot of damage to the people in those small communities who now don't have access to a church, even seeing these churches burn makes us stronger, because it reminds us of the wages of sin. It reminds us to stay focused on the gospel. And being open with our sin makes us strong, because it makes room again for Christ. By acknowledging our sins, we make room for Christ in our hearts to dwell in us and to come once again to save us.